You're listening to the M2 podcast featuring one of our speakers from the M2 Summit, 3rd of November 2020, brought to you by Yukiwi Natural Oral Care, Woodford Reserve, and Lease Plan. As we become more dependent on the digital world for our world in general, the security stakes become bigger and bigger. And it's not just hackers sitting in the basements looking at bits of code that we should be worried about. Our next speaker has worked with MI5, the New Zealand Air Force, and now at Cordia to help develop cybersecurity processes to protect businesses. Please welcome to the stage Hilary Walton. Hi everyone. Hi, how are we doing? Having fun? Excellent. So I'm Hilary Walton. Um, I will go to the next slide. So on my title slide, uh, you'll see I've introduced myself as many different things. And I do that really purposely because I think it's a really important message for everyone, but particularly our children. I don't think you need to decide super early on in your life to be one thing. I think that that can grow and evolve over your lifetime. And it doesn't need to be just one thing. It can be many things all at once. That's kind of how I lived my life. So there's the first lesson um, of the presentation. Um, I work for a company called Cordia. It's a, it's a really cool company. I feel really proud to work there because what, I, what we do there kind of really matters because we're running mission-critical networks. So we're a telecommunications company. We do business-to-business. Uh, so if you've got a business that internet is really important for, then people tend to buy off Cordia because of our network. But we also broadcast TV and radio for New Zealand, little known fact. Um, that was really important during the pandemic, obviously, to keep that going. And in the olden days, probably not that long ago, we actually used to have a position which was the Goodnight Kiwi. Do you remember that? So those people would come into work, turn the TV on, and then turn the TV off at the end of the day. We also do maritime emergency operations. So if you get into trouble as a boatie, you'll dial the 911 for maritime, which is, I think, channel 14, and then you'll come to the Cordia Operations Centre as well. So because we do mission-critical networks, we also do a lot in the cybersecurity space because it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with being mission-critical. It's part of our pedigree. So what I'd like to talk to you about today is not the techie stuff that we do at Cordia, but um, I really want to focus on the people aspect of security because it's an area I really love and I'm really passionate about. And I want to talk to you about the basics of cybersecurity culture and how you need to build one yourself and then also in your people and your business. Okay, so I've always been interested in culture, whether that's culture in societies or culture in organisations. Um, I actually started my career as an organisational psychologist before getting into security. Because every business has a unique internal culture that affects how it operates. And it's the same way that a family has a unique culture as well that affects how it operates. So take this family here. There we go. We all know this one, the royal family. So part of the problems that this family has experienced recently is because there's, there's been this big clash in cultures. You know, there's the, the royal family and the prim and proper way that things are supposed to be done in a very conservative manner. And then 
Meghan marries Harry and then she's, they together start to try and change the very culture and fabric of that family. They're trying to change how that family operates. Because culture is about how things are done around here and it shapes how people think, how they make decisions and then how they ultimately behave. Here's the my five bit. So, so in London, I got really interested in security culture, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get a role with MI5. So I worked in their behavioral science unit, and um, that was in CPNI, so the Centre for the Protection of National Infrastructure. It's the outward-facing arm of MI5, and we sort of dealt with different organisations across the critical national infrastructure and talked to them about security so that we could improve their security game, if you like. So security culture is about how an organisation approaches um, security. It's, it's about its style and approach to security. The security culture of MI5 was an extremely strong one, as you can imagine. So, for example, on day one, we were taught pretty much to be paranoid about just heading into work, just heading into the office. So at the front door of the offices, this is Tim's house on the slide, we would blank people. So um, we would blank people, which means you wouldn't acknowledge them, you wouldn't say hello, you wouldn't smile, anything like that, until you were safely inside the door. And it made sense because actually there was a chance that someone could be watching you and you could put yourself at jeopardy or someone else as well. Inside the office, your peers would help manage your security behaviours in a very active way. For example, if you left your computer unlocked on your desk as you walked away, or if you left any papers on your desk when you went home from work, or if you simply didn't collect your printing quick enough from the printer, your peer would give you some coaching, a bit of a learning moment. If you did it again, it would get more serious. And if you were a repeat offender, then you sort of got released to elsewhere and was pretty much asked not to come back to work. But it was right for the context of the organisation. But obviously, that's a very extreme example of a security culture. Culture pervades every part of business, not just security. Um, it affects how it performs. It affects how it manages risk. Um, it affects its health and safety. It impacts many things in businesses. But you know what? Security, if we just think of that part of the culture, well... It's not 50 shades of security. You know, it's sort of less sexy, potentially a little bit boring. And at the end of the day, sometimes you're just trying to put some blockers in front of people when they don't like that, when they're just trying to do their job. And if you've got it locked down too tight, then people feel like they just can't move. So you've got to find the balance. But how tightly you lock your organisation down is going to um, be a factor of the business operate that business the environment that you're operating in and, you know, whether that's appropriate or not. So I'm talking about security culture and behaviours. What do I really mean by that? So what are some of the mistakes that lead to hackers logging in rather than hacking their way in? Okay, here's some really people-centric examples I want to give you. And I'm going to use you first person. I'm going to use first person to describe them because I think it sort of makes it a bit more personal. I used a weak password on my account, and it was easy to figure out or guess. I entered my credentials, so my 
ID and my password into a website because it looked a little bit like my company login portal and because I received an email from what I thought was the IT department asking me to re-log in. I misconfigured my cloud. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm new to cloud and I just got it wrong. I took the person on the phone at their word because, well, they sounded trustworthy and I should have checked some more of the details or realised that maybe that prize I thought I'd won was just too good to be true. I didn't patch those systems or that vulnerability because, well, we've been really busy with project work and we just didn't get around to it. I gave my password to my EA, my executive assistant, as it was convenient for her to just log in and process those staff expenses. I don't update the software on my iPhone or my computer at home because, well, I just figured there were new features involved and I missed the fact that there were some critical security updates that I needed to get. I approved that MFA, even though I didn't actually initiate it, because, well, I approve these all the time and I just thought that was one kind of stuck in the backlog. I transferred the money because it looked like the email came from my CEO and it was asking me to really urgently do it. And they told me to put two-factor on my LinkedIn account, but, you know, I never got around to it. And now my account's been hijacked and hackers are sending phishing emails to my 2,000 contacts and I'm so embarrassed. Or this is the best one. I took my laptop to the pub, stuck it under the table because I need to take it home later, and then it was stolen. So there we go. Human factor mistakes happen all the time. But failure to really improve security culture and give it the attention it deserves can lead to some pretty big impacts for organisations. We're talking loss of intellectual property, compromised systems, damage to brand and reputation of the CEO and the board, major incidents that can threaten the business's survival, and minor incidents which are still really expensive and time-consuming to resolve. I borrowed this slide from one of my Aura consultants because I think it really paints the picture of why human factors are so important. Human factors were involved in 90% of data breaches last year, 88 to 91% of breaches in public cloud infrastructure, 90% of compromised attempts, and 70 to 90% of malicious breaches reported since 2005. To change a person or an organization's security culture and behaviors, we need to understand that it's more than just awareness. For example, I think it's fair to say that we're all 100% aware that smoking kills us, but some people still smoke. And that's because they're not motivated enough or they don't have the capability right now to quit. And security culture and getting people to do the right thing in relation to security is exactly the same. Take the use of password managers. So who here knows what they are? Yep. Keep your hands up if you're using one. And keep your hands up if you know lots of people who aren't as well. Or put your hand up if you know lots of people who aren't. Yeah. So if you're not using a password manager, the chances are you're doing one of two things. One could be you're writing your passwords down. Um, You might be doing that on paper or in your phone or maybe a Word document in your computer. Or the other thing that you're doing is you're using four, maybe two to four passwords across all your accounts and you kind of rotate them through. And maybe you've got your super secure password that you're using on your bank accounts and those really serious accounts like, like Real Me 
and then maybe a slightly less secure one you're using on your social media, and then maybe another one on maybe your online shopping platforms. So it would be easy for business leaders if all we had to do um, was tell people the security messages and then make sure they're doing it and just follow up that that's getting done. That would be brilliant. That'd be sweet. Job done. But no, it doesn't happen that easily. Even though we're aware, we often don't do the security thing that we need to be doing because it's more complicated than that. Instead, we have to be motivators, inspirers. We have to influence the business towards developing a security mindset, trying to make them be comfortable enough to, to challenge each other, depending on seniority as well, and also to do the right security thing when nobody else is watching. That's the key. That's the nirvana. So my goal, my wish, my, my aspiration is that Everyone, so adults, um, older people, teenagers and children as well, we need to start early with these young minds, care about security and maybe even and love it in the same way I do. So how on earth do we do this? To build a human firewall, we need to learn what it's like to be human. This is the reason I fell in love with security. This brings us to culture change, it brings us to, you know, how do you inspire? How do you motivate? How do you really change the behavior of people? And a human factors colleague of mine in London called Bruce Hallis said it really well. He said, first, you've got to learn what it's like to be human. And this sounds bizarre, doesn't it? I mean, we're all humans. We should know how, you know, how we behave and why we do what we do. But it turns out we just simply don't. And this is where subjects like psychology, my background, neuroscience and behavioural economics get to play in the exciting world of security. Now those are big bodies of knowledge that you know you can take years to kind of learn and get across. So here I want to let you know about three of my personal inspirations when it comes to understanding people and then applying that security. Um, or digital culture, which is another passion project of mine. To be honest, you can apply this stuff to any business strategy that you might be running in your business because at the end of the day, it's all culture change. So here are the three books. Here are my three gems, if you like. The first is about the nudge concept. So it was popularized in 2008, and the book's called Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. So nothing about security here, actually. But nudge is a concept which proposes that positive reinforcement and indirect suggestions as ways to influence behaviour and decision-making of groups and individuals. So, for example, if you, if you want people to eat healthier food, then you need to put that food at eye level for them. Whereas if you just ban junk food, that's not a nudge, that's a ban. Another analogy might be when you've paid for your petrol, you go into the service station to pay, and you're surrounded by all these trillions of chocolate bars uh, at the counter. And then, so what do you do? Well, it's quite likely that you're going to pick up one as you go past and when you're paying for your petrol. It's that upsell. For a security example, when I was redesigning our Cordia intranet recently, I created two buttons on the security homepage. So one was, how do you report a security concern? It's a really important one. I want to know about those. But then the other one was, how do I um, suggest a security improvement? Now, both of those buttons actually go off to the same form and in behind the scenes. But the reason I made them two buttons rather than one is because I wanted people to think, right, I need to report that security concern. Oh, 
actually, yeah, I've probably got a suggestion that I could do as well. I'll, I'll do that also. The second book up here is Heard. So How to Change Mass Behaviour by Harnessing Our True Nature by Mark Earls. This book says that marketing shouldn't start with the individual, and if you do, then that's flawed. You should start with the herd because human beings are naturally herd animals. And I have a video of Mark, which I'm going to show you to explain exactly what this means before I come back to talk about Working Out Loud by John Stepper. Before I do, quick survey. Who's, who's seen the, who knows these books? No. Okay. Um, it's always interesting when I ask that. They were quite influential for me, um, so I hope that you enjoy them as well. Right, let's get uh, the video on and have a look at what Mark's got to say. Mark Earls is one of the leading figures in strategic planning from the communications industry. He is an award-winning author of several books, including Heard, How to Change Mass Behavior by Harnessing Our True Nature. He is a professional student of human behavior with a unique ability to apply his learning to the world of strategy and business. Be prepared to change your view on the world. Hello there. I'd like to talk to you today about people and their behaviour. Not in an HR, war for talent kind of way, um, but as people and their behaviour is the subject and the prime focus for strategy and strategizing. You see, I think behaviour needs to become the prime concern of all managers in business and anyone doing any kind of strategy because the ability to shape other people's behaviour is the prime value creation lever for business today. First, um, rather than slogging away trying to change people's minds in order to change their behaviour, it seems more useful to get people to do something first and let their minds follow along afterwards. In marketing terms, rather than persuading people or trying to persuade people to maybe one day try your product, give it to them. Get them to try it. Um, and get lots of people to try it. And, and by the way, this does put a big focus again on, on making good products. If you want to start a revolution, start one. Don't sit around theorising about the best structure for the Revolutionary Committee and the best routes to the palace. Take it. Whatever you do, make sure you set your strategy in behavioural terms, in measurable behavioural terms, uh, rather than opinions and attitudes and awareness and all that stuff of what goes on up here. Um, and please, don't waste too much of your time and money on asking people what they do and why they do it, uh, because they just don't know. Thinking is very far from being the big thing, the big precursor. In fact, thinking and doing have exactly the opposite relationship to each other. Let me explain. First, the kind of deliberative thinking that we normally describe our, uh, uh, our accounts of our own lives um, with thinking before doing is really much less common than we imagine. Think of it this way. Human beings are to thinking as cats are to swimming. Most, we can do it if we really want, but only if we really want. Most of our lives are spent doing things and making sense of them afterwards. Our minds are lazy. We use shorthands, we know from neuroscience now. Shorthands, rules of thumb. And this is why, by the way, we're so open to errors. Things like what's called substitution bias. We see what we expect to see and not what's actually there. By seeing what we expect to see, we miss out on what's really going on in the world. Surely, you say, some people must have more influence over the rest of us than, than others, don't they? We all know people like that. 
Uh, and if we were just to focus our efforts on these influentials, then clearly we, our strategies for change would, would be very different in their success. Now, unfortunately, there's one thing that's been lost in all these fine words, in all these great case studies, and that's the truth. Because behaviour doesn't spread through populations like diseases. Most of the behaviour that we're interested in, addictions aside, spread through populations without any real stickiness at all. I, mean, I struggle to understand how using a particular soap bar like Dove or a SIF cleaner is actually sticky or, or interesting in that sense. Indeed, most things that spread, most fads and fashions, are just one of the many similar things that could have spread but didn't. It's rarely the thing, the behaviour, that's the important bit. And nor, and here's the big point, nor do things seem to spread through the influence of a very small number of people, the few, the influentials who tell us, the rest of us, what to do. Rather, they spread from exactly the opposite end, from normal people copying what normal people do. Copying shapes so much of human behaviour that it's hard to believe that we have ignored it in business till now. Indeed, if you take one thing away from this, this talk today, it should be this. Uh, I think the, the best way to improve our ability to strategize and to improve the results of our strategizing, to create some impact on, on people's behavior. So that's Mark Earls. He, what he talked about there was the fact that culture is passed on through copying each other. You know, it's more, it's more powerful to show people what to do and get them doing something than just tell them what to do, as we do very often in security awareness. So let's take the example of the password manager that we talked about earlier. What if, instead of telling people to use a password manager because it's, you know, good for them to do so because they've got 20 to 50 accounts and they can't, you can't possibly remember all the passwords for those and have super strong ones that are hard for hackers to, to break into... What if instead we did a workshop and you got people to come along and you showed them how to download a password manager and how to set it up? They'd be away, wouldn't they? And so that's what I try and do now. When people tell me as a security professional that they're not using a password manager, I go, oh, okay, cool. I'll show you how to do it. Right, bring, get out your phone. <laughs> get out your phone. Go to the app store. And it really everyday password manager that I quite like. Of course, you can, you can pick your own on this, and I'm certainly not getting any commission from this company. But a really super easy-friendly one that I like is LastPass. That's L-A-S-T-G-A-P-P-A-S-S. LastPass. Okay, so download that. Okay, now you've got that on your phone, you're going to need to register with it. Now, there's a free version of this, and this is absolutely great for everyday use. You don't need to go premium unless you're kind of using it for your business and you want to share passwords with your team. Um, so register in that. Right, now you're done. I like changing one person at a time, or maybe roomfuls of people at a time. So the next thing you need to do is, when you get to your, back to your laptop, you want to download the browser plugin for that as well. So what that's going to do is the passwords that you enter into your password manager are now going to sync across all your devices. So your phone, you can put one on your iPad, one on your laptop, and then that's going to make it really easy to find the, the password that you need. 
Okay, so the last book I had up there was Working Out Loud by John Stepper. Now, I'll forgive you for not sort of knowing about this particular one because it is a, a newer book out on the market compared to the other two. But Working Out Loud is, well, it's kind of been a bit of my own personal secret source, to be honest. And it's called Working Out Loud, but I, I sometimes wonder if it's not Dreaming Out Loud because I never know what doing this, where it's going to take me and what my next opportunity is going to be. But it's been turning out pretty well so far. For example, a really big thanks to the Cordia Marketing and Comms team because they saw me um, and what I was doing on LinkedIn and that's how I got my current role. So it does work. So I came across Working Out Loud when I was working as a digital transformation leader in a different organisation. I was changing the way people were doing things and giving them new tools and I was a digital leader. So I thought, well, I better learn how to develop some digital behaviours. Um, the current modus operandi at that organisation was you write a really, really long verbose blog and you chuck it on your intranet and that's how you communicate with your staff. And I'm sure that those got read from time to time, but I thought there must be a better way of doing this. So this is where I started to get into videos and using collaboration tools and social media and things like that. So I started um, internally in the organisation. Um, I really wanted to put a face to IT and be accountable for the performance of IT. Ooh, that's a new thing, isn't it? When things aren't working well, you put your face to it and make it accountable. And I noticed that... <sighs> people were actually watching the videos and it was kind of going quite well. Like people would talk to me about the content of the videos for the projects that I was running. So I thought, oh, that's cool. Okay, well, maybe I'll give this, go, this a go like in the world and on the intranet then because I loved this whole digital culture piece. And security is a big part of digital because all of business, every role, every industry and actually just life is going digital. So this is a really cool topic. Um, actually, I want to write a book on it. Oh, and I've done that for security culture and it took me two years. So I can't do that with digital. It's got to be quicker. It's got to be faster. So let's do little videos and post them up on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and, and things like that. Look, I didn't just start. That's probably a gross overestimation. It actually took me about a year to start because it's actually quite scary putting yourself out on the internet like this. What I have on this slide are some of my very earliest and most ugly videos. So you can see my face in that middle one, it's like doing that thing. Um, the bottom one is me at home in my cardigan. And I've done that really deliberately as well because you can't get too tied up in post-production with this stuff. You've just got to do it 80% as we've been talking about today and then kind of push it out. Um, because, yeah, you've got to start and let the process sort of teach you how, how to do it. So when you work out loud, your contributions build over time and you build trust and a, and a deep sense of relatedness. And this increases your chance for cooperation and collaboration. And you're more effective because you have more access to people and knowledge and opportunities that can help you. So you can see the five elements of working out loud up there. I won't go through them all, but a couple of the bottom ones I do want to touch on, which is purposeful discovery. That was really important for me because you, you don't have to know everything about a subject matter. You can actually go on a journey and find out more as you go. And then the growth mindset as well. So again, you don't have to be the expert in the room. You can kind of interview people and be on that journey together. So in short... 
I believe that more people and more businesses should definitely work out loud, internally in your organisations, for sure, as well as externally. Because if you don't, you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. And it's also a really engaging way to um, interact with people. The other key thing for communicating, particularly within your organisation or externally, is don't don't use all the mechanisms that you have, all the media. So internally, use your intranet, emails, bulletins, you know, video, collaboration tools. Don't discriminate where people can see you and get your message. And it's the same for externally as well. Be on all the platforms because they've all got different age groups, different types of people. And if you discriminate on certain ones, then you, know, you won't get your messages out there that you really want to get out there. Thanks, Andre. Um, so lastly, if people want to connect with me, I will give you my details when this clicker catches up with my finger. Sorry, I went over that one. Again, so I don't discriminate on where you want to see me as well. So I love talking about security and digital culture. And yeah, come find me on any of these platforms. Kind of... That was a little bit like uh, presentation inception because we're watching a presentation while we're watching a presentation. So it was very cool. On the, um, on the other side of things, so security is obviously really important, but if we look at uh, the marketing world and reaching, like going on the offensive, using some of the behavioral economics, using a little bit of psychology to go out and really connect with the audience. Like it was interesting, some of the insights there in terms of it's not the influences that drive things, it's the... It's the population. So any advice there, just a quick couple of snippets uh, of advice in terms of how to really work that side of things. Yeah, so the main thing is starting with that. So if you don't start, you're never going to get anywhere. Um, Another piece of advice is it doesn't happen overnight like Pantene does. It really is a slow journey. So I've been doing this online stuff now for just over two years, I think it is. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't look at your likes and your follows and your subscribes and things like that. You need to be playing for the long game. So two years or, you know, five years. It it happens over time. But if you don't get on those platforms, then you'll never start and never be able to get your messages out there and your brand and your organisation's brand and things like that. So just start a conversation with people. I think that's the, the big thing. And give value to your audience more than sell. Brilliant. Thank you very much. You're listening to the M2 podcast featuring one of our speakers from the M2 Summit, 3rd of November 2020, brought to you by Yukiwi Natural Oral Care, Woodford Reserve, and Lease Plan.